You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss the importance of environmental sustainability in our outdoor recreation industry. How do outdoor consumers consider environmental sustainability when making a purchase? Can consumers tell the difference between sustainability and greenwashing? What product traits are most important to consumers? Let's get into it. So how do we deal with climate change as an industry, right? As a a consortium of different outdoor rec sports that all sort of depend on being outside and, and the conditions being a certain way, right? Like we want snow in the winter to go ski, and we want the water in the summer to go uh, water ski. I'll get away from the ski analogies here, but like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, how do we, wh- what does this mean for us? Actually, this is, it's really interesting. I was having a conversation about this with um, a PhD researcher from the UK. Um, his name is uh, Samuel Jones, and he's, he's doing a very in-depth global research project looking at Sort of the 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 correlation between the outdoor consumer, the outdoor industry, and attitudes about climate. It was a very interesting mm-hmm. conversation in which yeah. we were talking about whether or not uh, we think that a connection to nature, being outside, actually translates into more support for issues surrounding public lands and sustainability. And it, I mean, OIA takes sustainability really seriously. We've got yeah, so action core. I mean, we're we're working with companies. Who are who are interested in becoming more sustainable, and companies, frankly, that that have to become more sustainable because the requirements of vendors, um, some of the major retailers, are calling for sustainability and social justice on top of that. So, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of different forces at work in outdoor. Um, does the connection to nature translate into more support for public lands? Um, the research is is fairly fairly positive on that relationship. Um, that there is there is actually a, a pretty decent correlation between time spent outdoors, um, particularly in green spaces that are that are considered nature and and support for issues of sustainability, especially around public lands and environmental sustainability in general. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, you care about what you know. You know, if you're if you're removed from it, it's really hard to connect with it, and it's hard to understand why it's important to take care of it and preserve it in some cases or conserve it, whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, I that, that exposure means a lot. I agree with you. Um, and through the, you know, thrive outside, which is the outdoor foundations program to, to increase access and build um, our participant base um, through 13 communities across the country. I mean, we're, we're thinking about this. I mean, we actually have um, thought about metrics you know, surrounding that connection in nature. If you, when you get somebody outside, then, you know, suddenly then they care, go figure, <laughs> right? Yeah, you got to put exactly. something in front of somebody for them to start caring about it. Usually I'm not saying, I, th- I think that's a generality and people can come at me for that, but I think in general, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah. It's in, and the really interesting part of that conversation I had with Dr. With um, Dr. Jones, I wanted to call him something else, Dr. Jones. I feel like I was talking to Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, but, I, I I got Bond villain at first, but yeah, Indiana right? Jones is Samuel Jones. Yeah. Um, 
we started to talk about, about brands and sustainability and consumer perceptions. And that was a really interesting part um, where, you know, he was talking about, you know, some of the research that had taken place before and, and what he was, what he was gleaning from some of the interviews that he was doing with people across the industry um, and whether or not it's important, you know, especially since outdoor is basically starting to sell sustainability. And we talked a lot about Patagonia, of course, um, but we, yeah. I talked a lot about other other outdoor brands that not only are interested in marketing on in, on sustainability, but are, are actually interested in being in in practicing their values. So we yeah. ended up in a long conversation about greenwashing, which we should probably mm-hmm. touch on here. Um, is are there are there going to be brands in the outdoor industry that are going to try and market on sustainability and on environmental consciousness and maybe even social justice? that, you know, it turns out it's just a marketing campaign. And I think that, I think the industry needs to be, to be actually pretty vigilant about this. Um, It's something that, that really pisses consumers off. And I have research to back that up for sure. There's definitely a a causal relationship between pissing somebody off (laughs) being inauthentic. And and the funny thing is Gen Z seems to have a, just a sniffer for this. They seem to be able oh, to yeah. sniff out yeah, sure. inauthenticity in like the speed that my dogs can sniff at a squirrel in the yard, man, for real. <laughs> and and this is it's a cautionary tale. Um, actually, I don't have a great cautionary tale on the tip of my tongue, but I'm sure we can think of one. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I can come up with one by the time this is over. I'm sure that that people out there can think about times when you know they felt they felt that they'd been lied to betrayed somebody told them that their values were one thing and it turned out to be exactly the opposite so you know i think it's it's really important for the outdoor industry in particular considering that we promote connections to nature and you know sustainability in general and care for the environment to be very very careful about greenwashing yeah absolutely i'm going to i'm going to attach this paper, a link to this paper. I'm going to send it to you, Drew, for the podcast and for our listeners. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Is but it a hyperlink that we can share in the? It is. It is. I'm going to share it with you. And it's called Identifying the Green Consumer Segmentation Study. I mean, talk about finding exactly what you're looking for. for yeah. The, the one problem with it, and it's from the Journal of Targeting um, Measurement and Analysis for, for Marketing. <laughs> There's a barn burner that only like Patrick and I read. Yeah. Um, and it was published in 2009, so it's a little bit old. Okay. But it was, yeah, it was published in the Journal of Targeting, Measurement, and Analysis for Marketing. <laughs> so it tells you, well, you know, what I'm about to talk about. But yeah, here, just just a quick a quick look at the abstract. The modern world has led consumers to become increasingly concerned about the environment. Such concerns have begun to be displayed in their purchasing patterns, with consumers increasingly preferring to buy so-called environmentally friendly products. Marketing managers have in turn recognized the strategic importance of marketing in finding responses to the environmental needs of consumers due to the influences may have on their consumption habits. The growing number of organizations entering the green product market also indicates a need for suitable segmentation and positioning strategies. This paper focuses on the identification of distinct market segments through the use of variables related to the environment, as well as demographic variables, the segments that are occupied by consumers with different sensitivities to environmental matters are identified. And the possible implications of these results for marketing strategies of companies are also discussed. Great paper. 
I mean, a great paper. So let me, I'm going to send you the link now, Patrick, because yeah. you're going to, you're going to eat this up. Well, and we'll, we'll put it in the episode's description. Too. Oh yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, it's almost 15 years since it was written and it's, it, it probably shouldn't be read as, you know, a, a prescriptive uh, description of what, what you ought to be doing right now in 23, but it, it should, it, it should create a conversation about how we can do similar research and how we can identify the segments that um, that might exist today, because the, obviously consumers have changed and greenwashing has become more and more of an issue in the last 15 years because folks latched on to, to conversations like that in 2009 and went, cool, we can, we can probably skate by telling folks that we're uh, creating sustainable products. We have these environmental initiatives without really putting our, um, our efforts into that. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to be done learning who, is purchasing your product, why they're purchasing your product, and then sort of appealing to them with this, the dude, I am all over the place. You're all right. You're all right. I'm, I'm all ready Fuck. to jump in. <laughs> all right. So when I sent this to our, my OIA client, my custom research client, mm-hmm. I said, um, I was doing some digging on best practices for segmenting on a distribution of environmental consciousness, which has become an obsession of mine. Um, part of what I would like to talk with you about in our next meeting is this article published in 2009, so consider its age. That said, this is a useful as a primer, 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 tomato, primer, tomato, primer, right? yeah, primer. Okay. We need fresh data. That was, you know, let's yeah. let's talk about this as a framework, but we do need fresh data. Here's the exact summary of what I just read. And I and I and I sent the the three sections to her to this client, her. Um, there, there are three sections that I loved and one's called demographics, one's called psychographics and one's called behavior. Awesome. Hmm. And it takes five minutes to read. So yeah, yeah, check it out. 10 pages. You got to check it out. I love this framework. And I, I mean, I, we have to test it, but the idea is that we, we are actually building what amounts to a distribution of environmental consciousness on a, on a, you know, building an index on a number of different variables. And that's something if, you know, if you're an outdoor brand and you're really thinking about, you're really digging into your segmentation, you're really digging into it. You know, these are all variables that you need to think about. I mean, whenever you're doing segmentation, the number of variables is kind of up to you. Like how granular do you want to get? Um, How, you know, how many, if you, if you're segmenting, if you've got more than about five segments, then you're trying to sell to everybody. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, you need to calm down a little bit. Because it's it's not going to being that becoming that granular, you get basically it's sort of like um, what's the economic turn, the law of diminishing returns. Oh, yeah. Right. So you get to it's like when I always think of that that damn law when I'm eating, too. Right. Because I yeah. that, that because of that economics law or because of that economics axiom, I always eat the best tasting stuff first. Right? Mm, <laughs> because yeah. as as you get through, like the first bite of steak. Is the most amazing bite. Yes. Once you once I get to about my threshold is about 15 bites. And then it's like, then the law of diminishing returns comes and that steak doesn't taste as good. And those, those mashed potatoes, I'm dredging it through, mm-hmm. doesn't taste as good. And that sauce yeah. doesn't taste as good because I'm full. I'm full. It a quick note, it's the law of diminishing marginal returns. So oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Each incremental addition is like less joy than the the previous or less utils, if you will. The the analogy that I like to use when I was lecturing the entry-level uh, econ classes was beers. Like the first beer at the end of the day 
is the best beer you're going to have. It's it's the, the amount of enjoyment you get out of that beer is significant. And the next one is still good, but it's not like that first one. And, and you sort of have this parabolic line emerging where by the time you hit like the eighth beer, you're going, I, I don't, I don't want this. And the ninth beer, you're going, I shouldn't have done this. And, and all of a sudden you've, you've passed the peak and now you're decreasing your enjoyment by every beer. And then eventually you turn negative and yeah. Um, Patrick Hogan says he can think after nine beers. We will be testing. We will be testing this hypothesis. You you have to meet those 18 and 19 year old econ 101 students where they are. And this is an analogy that everyone can understand. (laughs) Oh, I met them. That's why I'm into mathematics. That's why you're correcting me now on inserting margin into my title. Marginal returns, (laughs) marginal returns. Marginal. Yeah, I get you. I mean, it's that this there are economic theories that are fascinating. Yeah. Even though I pick but, but, on you guys, I still love you. <laughs> we'll pick you right back. Yeah. Uh, so really so I got really. us a little bit distracted. I got we prime numbers. About, so get out of here. <laughs> we're talking about the diminishing marginal returns of like additional consumer segments, right? If you, yeah. you have I'm 10 consumer segments, you might as well just. Yeah. We're just thinking yes. about, you know, it's an endless set of variables that you can consider, mm-hmm. right? This is yeah. this is a perfect it's null art, hypothesis. You know, I once got almost got the null hypothesis tattooed upon my arm and then thought that's dumb. <laughs> I had a I had a chemistry teacher in high school with the mole, which is the the measure the, the unit used to measure the amount of any substance. So it's like 6.022 two one four times 10 to the 23rd it's this huge number and he had it like spiraling down his forearm he's this goofy old white-haired dude that seemed like anybody's grandpa but he had this forearm tattoo with this silly it's not silly but with with a chemistry i love uh, it constant i thought about doing that with pie i did i love pie i mean it's just amazing to me it's just how cool is that then you just got this constant that allows you to do all kinds of things all kinds of you know, spatial placement, yeah. all kinds of math to find out what the what the area and volume. It's just amazing. This every time uh, I think I think about pi, every time I think about pi, I draw a circle and draw then draw a pyramid around the circle. And I can't explain that except that I think that it'd be cool to measure the volume of all those things. Hmm. Back to just to take us back down to earth. I mean, when you're segmenting, thinking about demographics, thinking about psychographics, um, you know, there are a couple of key, key variables, but you just really have to think through who your target market really is. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I've, we've talked about Dan Kahneman here before when he talks about your gut, you know, actually being yeah. a variable in the equation. I think that it's an important variable for all of the members of, of various teams around outdoor to think about. I was recently working with a small company and I was helping them do segmentation and, you know, they don't have a huge amount of resources. They're, they're really just getting started. And they think they know their audience, um, but we're 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 digging into it a little bit more so that we can see if we can make their marketing just that much more efficient, get their costs down just a tiny bit more, and get their margins up a little bit, Patrick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So what we talked about was in addition to looking at some data, like trying collecting some data about um consumers and consumer behavior that I'm gonna do through civic science and and a couple of other methods. That I would mm-hmm. love it. This is where I would love to have a consumer panel. Um, we started looking at who they thought their target market was, and they kept telling stories about their customers. So in the end, the exercise that I had them do is everybody on the team had to to describe three customers, just to like a typical customer, 
you know, the, the customer they want and the customer they're trying to get. And just try, just describe that person. And you can do yeah. it. I said, you know, you can, you can even use dictate on, on, you know, you're on an app and just talk about it and just get it, just get it down and, and let's share that and consider, consider what you're saying, consider the language you're using and what you're describing in, in this whole system. And it was kind of, it was interesting. It was, an, it was actually a really effective in terms of time and cost to get that team on the same page in terms of thinking about who they're, who they're actually selling these products to, who they're actually yeah. designing products for. And it was very important. And, and they are trying to sell to an, an audience that will, that they think will pay a little bit extra. Okay. For something that, that is authentically green, you know, built sustainably, yeah. um, you know, no PFAS, like the works, like, a, you know, thinking about a highly educated consumer. So there, when you think about your target audience, think about the things that, that you think are most important. What traits are most important in those consumers? And, and don't hesitate to use the tools that you and your team have available to you, which include, you know, your perspective on who your consumer is. And, mm-hmm. and that's actually gatherable data and an important part of the process and, and can cut your costs considerably. That's it. We come back to it in every episode. Reduce your costs, increase yeah. your revenue. Well, I mean, Tell that's kind of that's kind of the game, isn't it? Grow your business, reduce your costs, increase your profit, increase your margin, Beautiful. increase your revenue. I mean, really, <laughs> and and it, the interesting thing about some of these companies is that you know you you I often think of business in a pretty in a pretty cut and dry way, mostly because my heuristics, my training, my shortcuts have to do mm-hmm. with the the system that we live in. Um, that said, that system is changing, I think. And this is this conversation is part of that. You know, when you're considering what you do to have distinctive, distinctive advantages over your competitors, or you know, why someone should buy your product and not your your competitor's product. Um, when you're thinking about your audience, think about what they care about. And it so this isn't just about price. This we've gone way, way beyond price here. Um yeah. And I think the American consumer is, speaking of primers, is primed for this um, based on various things that they've learned to pay more for simply because, you know, there's something attached to it. And I'm talking specifically about paying more for things like intellectual property. I mean, how much of how much of the, the price of a pharmaceutical is tied up in intellectual property? I mean, yeah, that's a great question. We're used to paying for, for things that aren't tangible. Mm-hmm. So... You know, when you think about about aligning your values with with a brand that is communicating those same values and buying a product because of that, in addition to, hey, it's the best thing for the cheapest price. Yeah, that that gets into a in, in a much more sophisticated um, level of of segmentation of marketing. Some of these ideas I have every once in a while, even I question it, and I I tend to play okay. I, I tend That's... to play devil's advocate on both sides. What is what is environmental consciousness? How can we build an index of that? And part of that has to do with, with perceptions or self, self-reported attitudes about the environment. Yeah. Second is buying behavior. And third is, is just general behavior. So, you know, there are a lot of people that talk the talk to they walk the walk, right? Mm-hmm. Are they really outdoors? Are they really, you know, how much, how much have they invested in environmental causes? Um, have they, yeah. have they donated? Have they volunteered their time? Have they have they become a member of an organization like Protect Our Winters? Um, have they actually behaved in a way 
that indicates that they they think environmentally? I mean, do they spend their vacation cleaning up a beach? Do you know are they are they actually acting out in the environment to to um, to further their cause? If it is a cause, is I mean, on one side of the distribution you have activists, on the other side of the distribution you have people that roll coal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Roll coal. I mean, I can't believe you you use that term. I hate that so much. Just the, I, I the don't like rolling coal that, at all. Yeah. Or and and you know, I'd like to exclude the people that that do that from you know. But it's important to put them on a distribution, man. Yeah, it really yeah. is. If a black cat crosses my path as I'm going yeah, through my idea, is that bad luck? I got a black and white Aww. cat over there. You've got a black and white cat too. You've got yeah, a lot. That's, are yeah, you, where would you put yourself on a, on a scale considering variables that include, you know, attitudes, behavior, and yeah. where, where do you think you sit? If we made that scale, a hundred point scale, just think mm-hmm. through it for a minute. Where would you put yourself and, and where you put yourself on the scale is just one this is an index. So it's a lot of yeah. variables that become one variable in this equation. It, it's tough because I want to say I'm a hundred, right? Like I want everyone to think that I'm a hundred. I'm yeah. definitely not. And that, that's think- the trouble with like self-reporting how, like, how good are you? You yeah. want to say I'm the best. I am. So I care so much. This yeah. reminds me of it, you know, hearing we care a lot back in the eighties. You remember, the, mm-hmm. you remember that song? Yeah, a little clash, but I, I, <laughs> it was, I mean, it's, it's, that's why I want to include behavioral variables yeah. and buying behavior variables. So are you going out and helping build trail? Are you going, you know, and if we could collect if we lived in a perfect world and I collect all this data, mm-hmm. I would be able to nail people. And I would <laughs> that's guess not that what this is for. Kelly. I know <laughs> gotcha. nail people in a segment is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Based on not only what they report, but also on what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's important. It's important to remember that people do inflate and tell you what the best yeah. version of themselves might do, especially if you're yeah. asking them to predict their future behavior. In undergrad, I I helped start the Green Fund on campus, so it was um, one dollar per credit hour, up to ten dollars maximum from every student enrolled at the university. Went into this pool of money. Uh, it, this was based on like a referendum that we had. We we voted on this. Uh, and, and I, along with four other people controlled that pool of money, students would come to us with proposals for sustainable solar powered trash compactors, uh, a more advanced irrigation system that, uh, that took into account the current weather. And so it would turn off the sprinklers when it rained and it would turn them on and at other appropriate times, uh, to, to conserve water and all this stuff. Um, and it was wildly successful. I also have a an irrigated lawn in my backyard instead of xeriscaping or doing something else water conscious and so like yeah you know i uh i exist on that spectrum too i'm not a hundred but i'm also not zero i i buy organic food until sometimes it's twice the price of non-organic food and i have a cart full of stuff and it's hard to justify i just eat food uh, off the ground really <laughs> uh i i do too if you count the garden but um you know, it, 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 everyone exists on that spectrum, and it and it, it yeah. ultimately impacts the decisions that we make at the register, which is which is why this is an important conversation for all of our yeah. members too. Like understanding that uh, you your products also exist on the spectrum, right? Like with zero being complete greenwashing or like just 
completely, uh, you know, like not, not made with sustainability in mind, not made with environmental consciousness in mind, um, to the completely sustainably sourced, uh, responsibly created with responsible inputs and all this, that each company I think also exists on that spectrum. So let's start segmenting products and product lines and organizations. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, this Maybe is, not, this but. for me, this isn't an exercise in figuring out who in the industry is trying to greenwash and who's really actually authentic. No, my, no, my no, job, no, 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 this, it's a good point though. My, my job is to figure out if the consumer can perceive the difference and which consumers can. Right. Yeah. And I, and I need to know that. And it's, yeah, this is, this is completely objective. Um, you know, you've, we've got to extract our feelings from these analyses. But it's imp- it's important to know, and I'm what I'm really interested in that sub variable. My index of environmental consciousness is actually a regression, and it's it's a regression analysis between various pers- various self reported attitudes and behaviors, and buying behavior. Yeah, yeah, that's where the money is. Right, that's when we figure out if there. You know, I would guess. I would guess. If we if we did that correlation, that those attitudes would probably explain maybe, maybe 0.04, maybe four percent of the variance. Hmm. I don't know. It's the self-professed part. So yeah, I'm cynical. That's, that's a problem. This is why I do math because I'm cynical. I'm like everybody sucks, and then I do the math. I'm like, <laughs> no, they don't. They're actually really great. <laughs> And they're really great. And, and the reason I've stuck with this career for so long is that I can, I'm continually surprised by the data in, in good and bad ways. And it's my favorite part of the job. But yeah. my point is, no matter how cynical you are, you know, this is we're going to have another conversation about, you know, extracting bias from analyses. Um, yeah, if, if you're if you're like if research is an avocation for you, you know, this is something that I, I really hope that you'll think about. Because you're not always right. Your hypotheses mm-hmm. are often misdirected. Um, your frameworks can be completely biased and give you results that only confirm what you thought in the first place. And there are a lot of pitfalls here. And there are all kinds of examples of this from good researchers throughout history. Yeah. Right? All kinds of examples of this. So no matter what you do, we can go into this thing really trying to learn about your consumer you know, use again, use what you know, use your gut, use your team's gut as a variable in this equation, but try and step away, step away and collect some data and find out what's really going on. And, you know, dare to be surprised. Dare it. Dare to be surprised. Double dog dare you to be surprised. And double dog dare you to try and be surprised. Mm. And if you need any help, please don't hesitate to call Patrick and I. We both love doing this. Segmentation is one of my favorite hobbies. Yeah. Only I do it for real. <laughs> yeah, we. I loved our episode on segmentation. We should go listen to that if you haven't listened to it. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time. <laughs>